0: And uh, recently, I was, uh, I was driving to the office, and I was thinking about Christmas, and I was thinking about the series of Christmas messages leading up to Christmas Eve, and, and I've done this a few years now, and uh, every year I want to make sure I learn something new and I have something fresh to share with you, and, uh, and so I was thinking about Christmas, and I was thinking about How? What is the point I want to make this Christmas? What am I learning about Christmas that I can share with you? And I was trying to boil it down. So a lot of times when you do it, if you do a public speaker, if you can boil down the thesis of your message to just one sentence, it helps you kind of think about where you're going. And, And so I was trying to think about not just a sentence, but a bumper sticker. If I was going to put Christmas on a bumper sticker, what would I put? right? So today you're going to write Christmas, the whole uh, entirety, the essence of the most important thing ever happened in history on a bumper sticker. Maybe not, but uh, there are impressions we can get from Christmas that would fit on this. So don't fill it out yet. You've got pens and you're going to pass them on down the row if you want a different color and stuff. But by the time we're done, I want you to, if sometime during the sermon, there's two boring parts, be especially helpful if you wrote during that time to stay awake. So we like this the whole morning. Because when people don't respond, I talk longer. Good. So, by the time we're done, I'm going to have you write. I want you to write uh, some kind of Christmas, the essence of Christmas, on your little bumper sticker, and then we're going to have some fun with it. We'll tell you what we're going to do with it, okay? So, uh, by the way, I, just in case you think that nobody ever does Christmas bumper stickers, I actually went online and found some you can actually buy. These are really true. I didn't make these up. Real bumper stickers. Here's the first one that you can buy for Christmas um, I can help you get on the naughty list. Like, I need help with that. I've been trying to get off for years. All right, here's the second one. Recall. Recall Santa, because I didn't get what I wanted. I'll vote a new one in. I don't know. Um, and Santa's little hindrance. I don't know if it's funny, but I know a couple of kids, I'd like to slap that sucker on their forehead. Anyway, I have OCD, obsessive Christmas disorder. Pretty sure my wife suffers from that, and we all suffer from that. Anyway, all right, now here's another one. Uh, Dear Santa, it was my sister's fault. Okay, how about this? Dear Santa, define good. (laughs) Future lawyer there. Um, And how about this one? Warning, I say Merry Christmas. Oh, not bad? I'm going to quit on that one. Okay, Uh, I thought those were a lot funnier than you did, so this could be a really long talk, I don't know. We live in a world in which I I find it hard to find objective news. Uh, We hear about fake news. And if the news is real, it's both bad and biased, uh, just the way I see the world, and you can take it however you want it. But one of the things we dare not do is write off the story, the historical account of Christmas as either fake news or as bad news, because it was both real and it was good. It's real good news. And one of the things we get to do every Christmas is to stop and realize that this Christmas thing is not about lights, it's not about songs, it's not about the warm fuzzies. It is about a historical event that actually happened. And because it happened, it made a a change in all of history. And it will change our history annually if we'll just take a look at it. So I want to talk about the the breaking news, the historical news that that the angel presented to the shepherds. It's found in Luke uh, chapter 2, if you have a Bible or if you want to pull up a Bible app, it's Luke chapter two. And, it's, and it, there are words, if you've heard the Christmas story read many times, you, you kind of take them for granted. I want to challenge you not to take them for granted because you may not have squeezed all the meaning out of them. And so I've gone back and I've done some studies and uh, I want to talk about some things about this announcement that you may or may not have known. It may trigger some thoughts on what you might write on your bumper sticker. Uh, the first thing I want to look at is uh, who brought the message? Who brought this? And he said, well, it was angels. Well, it was an angel, first of all, but there's something else that you need to know about it, okay? Because who brought the message is important. So let's take bumper stickers, for example. I'm driving to church today. I look over. There's a car with like, it had to be like 37 bumper stickers on the back. 37. So now when you see a bumper sticker, if you see a car with one bumper sticker, you kind of go, oh, that, that person feels strongly about whatever they chose to, you know. To to put on their car, but if you see forty eight, you go, man, they just like bumper stickers, right? And and then so you're so what you're doing in that moment, realize it or not, is you're evaluating the messenger. You can read the message now. You're going, okay, who's putting that out there, right? And so now I know you don't do this, but I tend to categorize messengers and evaluate in ways that I know you don't know, because you're much holier than I am, but I will, if, if there's not a multitude of, of like bumper stickers in which I just write the person off as a bumper sticker fan, a uh, fanatic whatever, I then look at the car and if it's kind of a beater and it's got holes, I figure they're just covering up rusts, probably and then if that doesn't help, then I look at the driver and I evaluate the driver. Now, I know you would never do this, I understand, but I'm just a sinful human being, okay? And I will look at the driver and I will evaluate their message based on the messenger, whatever my opinion happens to be about them. And if I can categorize them as someone that I don't trust, then it's much easier to write off their message. Too real for you? It'll get uh, more painful in a minute. Anyway, so so if we evaluate the messengers that are going to bring this Christmas message... We need to look at some things, and there may be going, okay, angel, I get it, angel, whatever. No, 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 there's more in this passage than you think. Listen to this. It starts in verse 8, and goes to the beginning of verse 10, this first second says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks of night. By the way, notice something already. There were shepherds living. They weren't just out there for the evening, they lived out in the fields. It tells you something about the shepherds. They lived outside, right, with animals. Should conjure up smells. Should visualize dirt. Shepherds gritty, rough, earthy. Okay. That's a part of the thing here. Um, keeping their watch over the flocks at night. Also keeping their watch. So what would, why would they have to watch them overnight? Predators, tough guys. They were, they would defend against bears, lions, not tigers. Those are in India. But anyway, um, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Now we just go, yeah, that's part of the story. here every year. But have you ever really heard it? Listen again. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Yes, an angel, one angel. We think there's a, there is a choir of angels, but it's not actually a choir. It's a group of angels, and it comes later. But it starts with one angel. But then there's something here. Now the angel in the Christmas story is not that unusual. Uh, and so angel appeared to Mary to tell her she was going to have a baby. Appeared to Joseph in a dream to tell her Mary's baby is not because she cheated on him. Uh, to Zechariah, that they were going to have a baby in their old age. Angels are a part of the story, but there's something in this that is weird. It says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, when you think about that, you think about the pageantry of Christmas. You think about, okay, the one angel, he's going to have a solo. So we put the spotlight on the angel. That's not the picture here. The picture is there is an angel, but there is a light that surrounds, not the angel, the whole scene the glory of the Lord shone around them. Separate from the angel. That's not something emanating from the angel. That is from another source. The glory of the Lord. What does that mean? I want you to get this picture. Because in scripture, we find that God, even though God is spirit, there is somehow something that we relate to light that is so intense in the presence of God that humans could not live and experience God or see God we find that with Moses. Moses wanted to see God. God just can't see me. You you disintegrate. Here's what I'll do. I'll stick you in a crack in the rock. I'll cover you up and I'll walk by. And then you can see what, what the, the trail kind of the, the, the dust of glory that emanates from me having gone by. And so this image of God as God is so incredible, so wonderful, so bright in every sense of the word that humans can't see it, but you can see where he has been or evidence that he is in 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 the present, okay. So the only example I come up with is it's a really lame one, but this is what I got: uh, is that uh, I was out riding um, uh, quads and uh, four wheelers with some friends, okay. And it's and it's night, and and I know my friend is down in this valley, and between me and the valley where he is, there is a little kind of a hill, you know. And he could be as far as a mile away down there, but I know there's a little hill, and so I'm watching. I hear I can hear him far away. And, And, and I see his lights, but it wasn't actually his his headlights. Actually, they had installed a new light bar. Anybody know about this, the light bar? This is like as bright as the sun. Not quite, but it's really, really bright. Okay. I mean, it's like, you know, the headlights are, this is like, okay. So, um, and so I see, but I don't actually see the bar. I just see in the fog, like this, this light, you know what I'm saying? I'm not actually seeing him. I'm not seeing the lights. I'm just seeing in the fog, just this glow, if you will. And so I think any minute he's going to come over the hill and he didn't and suddenly the lights go off. And so the next day I saw him and I said, Hey, what were you doing? Why didn't you come on over there?" said I was nowhere near that hill. Those lights are so bright. I was way down there. I was waiting. All you were just seeing was the lights um, reflected in the fog, just that glow. I was a mile away. I'm like, or half mile maybe. I was like, that's amazing. Those lights are amazing. The glory of the Lord is not the angel. It's not emanating from him. It's the fact that God was there and all he could allow them to see or they could be consumed was kind of the glow of him kind of behind the hill sort of imagery. You know what I'm saying? You're getting this? So there's like this wah kind of thing happening, okay? So when they see that, the shepherds are like, freaked out as would you be and as would i be right they are freaked out what is this angel a freak out cuz by the way the, the common greeting whenever an angel sees a human being in scripture is what don't be afraid right so there's something crazy about angels but then the glory of the lord is even more and so it's like right don't be afraid it's interesting about uh, this particular passage god's glory God was so. So here's what's weird: the glory of the Lord didn't show up to Mary, pretty important person in the story. Joseph, another important person in the story. Zechariah, He showed up to the shepherds. Why? Why shepherds? I mean, that's even more intense question. Remember who the shepherds were. They lived outside. They smelled like sheep. They were dirty. And, in addition to being social outcasts because of all of that, they couldn't attend religious ceremonies, and what they did with the sheep was was unclean according to their religion, so they were both socially outcasts because of the lack of hygiene, probably, and they were outcasts religiously because they couldn't go to temple and get things straightened out, and so they were kind of the bottom of the heap so now the mystery is even greater because why would God, his glory, and an angel come to shepherds, right? Why wouldn't he go to kings or, or why wouldn't he go to the religious types or the people who would recognize what was going on? He just went to regular old, uneducated, rough, tough, earthy guys. Why did he do that? Because the most came for the least. It was a pattern in Jesus' life. He reached out to those that nobody else reached out to women who had bad reputations, men who were tax collectors. He reached out to the least because the kingdom of God reaches out to the least. First, the first who got to hear the news of the birth, besides Mary and Joseph who were there, were shepherds, the least. Maybe the first bumper sticker we want to think about is Christmas is for the least of us. It's for the least of us. It's for those of us who don't feel worthy. By the way, it's for all of us all of us. But the reality is that the least of us are the ones who recognize we need Christmas. Right? The rest of us think we don't. And so they come and they're afraid. I think the angel comes and says, don't be afraid. There's an interesting thing about this fear not. Tim Keller has an interesting take on this. And I won't take too much time to develop it, but he says that there's a lot of things that we might be afraid of. As a matter of fact, I want to read a quote from, from some of his writing about this. He says, um, Human beings are radically threatened by the presence of the holy. It accentuates and intensifies our fears because we are so alienated from God. One of the reasons that shepherds may have been afraid is because they weren't really right religiously with God according to their religion. And those who are not right with God and having believed in Christ, are alienated from God, and they don't want God to show up. And if we're not careful, we could be that way too. God, I don't want you to really see everything that's going on. I don't want you to really see what I'm doing when nobody else is looking. I don't really want you to look deep into my heart and see my motives for what I'm doing. I don't really want you to show up. I'm a little afraid you're going to find out the truth about me. I got news for you. He already knows the truth about us, and he came for us anyway. There's an interesting phrase in the the King James, because at the end of this, in the passage I just read from the NIV, it says, uh, do not be afraid. King James says, fear not. But then there is a word in the King James, and the King James is a very old translation, and is rarely better than the new ones, but there is one case, and it's this, or maybe more than one, but this is one of the cases in which it says, in the King James, fear not, behold, and then it describes what's going to happen. But there's an interesting thing in the modern translation, you think the behold, oftentimes think the behold is redundant or just an old way of speaking, but it's not because there is a word there in the original Greek. And what it means is you need to don't be afraid and perceive what I'm about to tell you. The angel is saying, you need to perceive or understand or put in context or make application of what I'm about to tell you. And he's going to tell them about the birth of Christ. But here's the interesting thing. As we think about Christmas, we need to fear not. So here is my assumption about all of us as we live in fear. From time to time. Maybe not every day all the time, but from time to time. We have fearful thoughts. What if the kid's getting in an accident? You know, the old thing about your mom. I would, I mean, you had, I'm so glad you called. I was afraid you're in a ditch somewhere with dirty underwear. <laughs> right? It, no? Yes. Okay. I believe that we live, whether it's just a lagging little fear or an episodic kind of, oh my gosh, what if something happens? Or just outright anxiety all the time. I believe that our society lives in fear and we live in fear. And here's what I want to point out to you about Christmas. It says, fear not, behold. Now the behold is both talking about what he's going to announce yet to come about the birth of Christ. But the behold also relates back to the, word fear, the words fear not do not be afraid. And the implication here and the intention of the angel is to say, if you will perceive what is happening at Christmas, you don't need to live in fear. And the point is, is that Christ came because of love, because God loved us and perfect love. Only a perfect love would come from heaven to earth. And what does perfect love do according to scripture? It casts out fear. It says, behold, perceive what is happening and why it's happening and never live in fear again. Christmas, no fear. That's a bumper sticker, right? If you perceive, if you behold, if you understand what Christmas is about, you don't need to live in fear because there's a God who loved you so much that he came to earth as a little tiny baby. Next week we'll talk about why he came as a baby because I think there's reasons for that. He loved you so much that he came as a vulnerable, tiny little baby to, to then grow up, to pay for all of your sins on the cross and to give you hope forever in the resurrection. And if there's a God who loves you that much and he wants you to know him and he wants you to be in his family, what is there to be afraid of? What is there that can happen that he doesn't know about? What is there that can come across your path that he can't walk you through and even use for your benefit? There is nothing. Behold and have no fear. I love that he's talking to just, this angel is talking to just regular guys just regular folks like you and me, and they're the first ones to hear. Behold. So that's the messengers. Maybe, maybe the bumper sticker for Christmas is, Christmas is for the rest of us, or Christmas is for the least of us, or Christmas. Pay attention. It's Christmas. Listen up. Behold, perceive, understand. Don't just settle for the superficial. Superficial. Well, that's the messengers. What about the message itself? And I don't have time to really flesh this out. And We will completely more so next week. But let me just read the rest of verse 10 to you. It says this. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. There's a bumper sticker. Good news. Great joy for everybody. Christmas. Good news. Great joy for everybody. What more do you need? That's a great bumper sticker. And then he goes on. He says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There's two things here that we should be excited about. One is a birth and one is a blessing. Here's the birth. The birth is a Savior has been born. By the way, he didn't grow up to be a Savior. He was born a Savior. The fact that he came to earth and why he came to earth, to do exactly what he did. He was born a Savior. He wasn't born a baby and then became a Savior. He was born a Savior. Who needs a Savior? Every one of us needs a Savior. We do. We've all done things wrong that we can't make up for. We all have thoughts that aren't beneficial to us or anybody else. We all have stuff. We just got stuff, and we can't fix it. We need a Savior. I need God to come and save me from the anger that rises so quickly. I could start in the morning with my prayer. This is a day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, and I will pledge, Lord, I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And by noon, what am I doing? It all depends on what somebody said to me, how the day is going. But I can always return back and say, no, I need to be saved from this bad attitude. I need to be saved from this bitterness. I need to be saved from this this destructive pattern that I am so inclined to move toward when things aren't going well. I need a Savior. Not just once, because I've done some bad things in the past. I don't want to be held accountable for those forever. And I can be forgiven because my Savior has come. I want to be freed from that. But I also want to be freed from the things that are so self-destructive in my tendencies today. I, I can't do it on my own. I need a Savior. is not only a Savior, but a Messiah as a reference to the Jewish word for the one who's going to come and, and release Israel, or the Christ, which is the Greek word, same, same word. I need someone who's going to come and set me free. Later on, Jesus proclaimed, I've been anointed to set the captives free, to preach the good news. I need to be set free. I need to be set free from my urges. I need to be set free from some of the false thinking that I has been inculcated in my brain in the world in which I live. I need to be set free from some of those things. Every once in a while, I start thinking money will make me happy. Every once in a while, I, I kind of envy those who have more power because that's where happiness is found, right? Every once in a while, I think, you know, fame, that's the thing. I don't think that one very often. <laughs> that almost never turns out well. You see, I need to be set free from false thinking. I need to be set free from bad ideas. And then he says, "A Savior is born, a Messiah, and the Lord. And the way it says the Lord here doesn't mean a Lord. It doesn't mean a ruler, a king, somebody who's in charge. It means the Lord. It means God. It is a reference to Old Testament Jehovah. It is saying from the very birth... Christ's disciples after his death didn't make up that he was God. At his very birth the angel is announcing he is God. The Lord is born in your town today. Here's why most of us don't get Christmas. Most of the society doesn't get Christmas. Because we kind of fool ourselves into thinking we don't need a Savior. We don't need a Messiah to be set free from anything. And I'm in charge. I'm in charge of my destiny. I'm in charge. It's up to me. If it is to me, it is up to me. You know what's interesting about that? If we say, I'm... By the way, can I just tell you, I did some research on those bumper stickers you didn't think were funny. I didn't read you any one that really wasn't funny. And it, it was a picture of a guy. It was a trash can. And he's throwing away religious symbols. Starved David, uh, the, the symbol of Islam, a cross. He's throwing them away. And the caption is this, no God, no masters. Said, well, at least somebody's being honest. At least somebody's being honest. No God nobody's in control of me i am in control of me i am in control of my destiny i'm in control i am the man (laughs) it's not a lot like a lie told to a woman in a garden a long time ago if you just eat this fruit you'll be god you'll know better than god you'll be in charge here's the problem at christmas unlike the wise men and unlike the shepherds unlike the shepherds we don't want to go and see what christmas is really about because we think we're in charge and like the wise men, unlike the wise men, we don't want to go and bow our knee down to somebody greater than us, because I am the man. And if you are good for you, I hope you enjoy the lights and the music. But if there is any, any shred of doubt in your mind that you are the center of the universe, <laughs> that you are in charge of anything, the truth is you can't even guarantee you're going to be breathing tomorrow, because you are not God. And I'm not God. And I remember the day when I realized I wasn't in charge. And in fact, I was trying to be in charge, and I was messing things up, and I was hurting me and everybody around me, and I realized there is a God, and He knows better. And I'm going to bow my knee, and I'm going to accept the Christ of Christmas, and I'm going to let Him change me so I can be more like Jesus. And that's when the beginning of my Christmas experience really took hold. And today, I'm not condemning. I'm not judging. I am one of the least. But Christmas is for me. And if you're one of the least, Christmas is for you. And today, my prayer is that you would experience Christmas beyond the superficiality of the lights, which I love, and the music, which I love, with the depth of Christmas that the angel was trying to say to the shepherds is Christmas is about something that is life-changing. Today, I invite you to experience Christmas that is life-changing because it's, it's, it's about God and how much he loves us. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to take that, that thing out, that little bumper sticker thing. I want you to write on there your bumper sticker, your Christmas bumper sticker. Use one of mine. You can use some of the others. Uh, you know, maybe it's God and sinners reconciled. That's a pretty good one. I like that one. Maybe good news, great joy, peace for everybody. That's a pretty good one. Maybe it, uh, it's Christmas. Peace can happen. Maybe, I, write one down for yourself. And I'm going to pray while you're writing. Yes, God can hear my prayer while you're writing. It's okay. Write one down, and then we're going to do something kind of interesting with it, okay? Lord God, I thank you for Christmas. I love the lights. I love the music. I love the warm fuzzies. I love family. But most of all, I love that you came because you loved us first. I am undeserving of your love. I will never be able to repay you, but I can be grateful, and I am deeply grateful this Christmas. So, Lord God, Let us be people who understand Christmas, who have accepted the Christ of Christmas and who are living in gratitude because of it. And let us be the kind of people who, like the shepherds, choose not to keep it to ourselves, but share with others. In Jesus' name, amen.